Okay, we are in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 23, 1 Samuel chapter 23, let's pick it up from verse, um, verse 14, 1 Samuel 23, 14, David stayed in the wilderness and the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of of, of Saul, my father, will not find you. And you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you, and Saul, my father, knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horish while Jonathan went to his house. Okay, so David is is fleeing from Saul. He leaves the the town of of Keilah, where the the folks in Keilah were going to turn him over to Saul if Saul had indeed besieged the city. So he left and he goes to the wilderness of Ziph. That's in the southern part of of Judah. So this is all through the land, the area that that David knows very well from being a a shepherd growing up. And he goes into this wilderness of Ziph and he goes to this place called Horish. This place called Horish is about 2,900 feet above sea level. So it's very high up and most of the area around it is treeless down, down, down the, the, uh, the mountain from, from Horish. So it's very easy to see if anybody is coming. So you can see strategically why David would go to such a place. And so when he's at this place, Jonathan, Saul's son, comes to him. And remember, Jonathan and David had made a covenant together. And Saul had been aware of that covenant because back in, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, uh, in, in verse, verse 8, Saul said, for all of you have conspired against me so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you who is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is this day. So Saul knew that that David and, and Jonathan were very good friends. And Jonathan went without his father's knowledge to visit David. So Jonathan is able to, to approach David. And, and uh, what Jonathan does is it says in verse 16 of, of chapter 23 that he encouraged him in God. That Jonathan encouraged David in God. This whole ability to be encouraged in God is a great thing. It's a great thing to know how to encourage others in God and also to know how to encourage oneself in God and also to know how to receive encouragement in God, to know what it is to receive. And so I'm going to give you some examples of this and, and, uh, uh, because this has been so much of my life. So much of my life is my going back to God to have Him encourage me to be able to face the day. If you look, turn over just a few pages to 1 Samuel chapter 30, 1 Samuel chapter 30, you see, there, not only can one receive encouragement in God, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, in 30, verse 6, Moreover, David greatly 
was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So, again, here's an example where David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. There, were, there was no one coming from the outside. But it was knowing how to strengthen himself in the Lord his God. David was able to do this. So what happens is, is a person can come before God and God can begin to strengthen them. There are numerous examples of this in Scripture. And there are examples in my own life, and I'll tell you about some of these in a moment, but where God has taken the Scriptures and just filled me and spoken to me through the Scriptures. If you look over in Acts chapter 23, you'll see the same thing in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 23... And the setting here in Acts chapter 23 is that Paul had gone into Jerusalem and he was offering up, he, he was, he was, uh, this was part of, of this uh, uh, getting ready for, for, for doing the, the uh, traditional sacrificial type offerings that, that are done in the, in, the, uh, in the temple. And he had bothered no one, he had spoken to no one yet, and he was arrested. After he had been arrested, he gave a short testimony. He only spoke a couple of paragraphs. He gave a very short testimony in Jerusalem. What happened was so much ruckus started. He had been arrested. He was able to stand up, give a short testimony in his defense. And that was it. Then he was brought brought before the council and he just spoke a few sentences. And that's it. And then all these things started happening. So if you actually look at how much... Paul witnessed in Jerusalem, it was a very, very small amount, equivalent to a few paragraphs of standing up and witnessing of the Lord. That's it. That's all he spoke. And if you look in in, uh, Acts chapter 23, verse 11, it says, But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. It says that the Lord stood at Paul's side. It says that he stood at his side and he said, Take courage, for you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem. So the first thing the Lord says to him, so this is an appearance of Jesus Christ to Paul long after Jesus' death. So this, is, this may be 20 years after 25 years after the the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus appears to Paul and says, take courage. Now, why do you think he would say, take courage? Because Paul wasn't afraid of anything? Why would he waste his words if Paul wasn't afraid of anything? People tell us, take courage, if they feel that we need to take courage. If they feel that we're faltering, they say, take courage. The Lord, who knows where Paul is and and, and his mindset, says to him, Paul, take courage. He says, you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem. If you go back and you see how much Saul spoke in Jerusalem, it wasn't months and months of witnessing. In fact, Paul says, I spoke to no one until you brought me here to testify. And he spoke to nobody in Jerusalem about the Lord on this visit. Nothing. Except after he had been arrested, he testified a little bit. Have you ever 
gone to share with somebody about the Lord, and then you feel that after you've shared with them, you've done a terrible job, that your witness to them really wasn't very good, you, that's happened to you. Okay, this has happened to me many times. And not only did I feel that I did a terrible job, I really did a terrible job. You know, you, you know I've, I've gone to share with people, and, and you know, it's, it's hard for me to cozy up to somebody. And I just, you know, go right in their face and I say things, and they get all offended. And it's as if they hate the Lord more after meeting me than they hated Him before meeting me. In fact, before meeting me, they were indifferent, and now they really hate the Lord. So I feel that I've really blown it. But here, even though Paul had only spoken a few words, he says to him, you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem. Paul is probably thinking, me? (laughs) Who are you talking to? I only shared a few paragraphs here. I only gave a short piece of my testimony, and as a result of my testimony, it says the people became so enraged, they were throwing dirt in the air, they were throwing things at him. It wasn't a very successful witness. There weren't a whole lot of people believing. In fact, the people became enraged at his witness during this time in Jerusalem, which was just a few paragraphs. But Jesus says, take courage. You have solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem. So God's perspective on the sharing and God's perspective on the success of that sharing was very different than the outcome that Paul saw. The outcome that Paul saw was the few words that he had said. It says, if you look back in in, in Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 22, verse 22, it says, They listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying out and throwing off their coats and tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, uh, stating that he should be examined by scourging so that they might find out the reason why they they were shouting against him that way. So you see that he had just shared a little bit of his testimony. The result was the people became enraged. And it says that this man does not deserve to live. Has anybody ever said to you, you don't deserve to live? I mean, people may have used the expression, drop dead, but in a very small number of occasions in our lives, I'm sure. But these, there was a whole crowd of people convinced that this man should die. This wasn't, you, you, you know, you, you don't go and you write this in your newsletter. Let me tell you about, you know, the sharing time that I had. This is not the way you get more donations to your mission program. What do you do in your mission program? You talk about all the people that got saved and everything. Or else people stop donating to your program. So there's nothing that Paul can write about this. Nothing great happened. And the Lord is saying, yes, yes, you have solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem. Now you must witness at Rome also. You want me to be as effective in Rome as I've been in Jerusalem? But the Lord doesn't tell him that between Jerusalem and Rome, you're going to spend two years in prison. And you're going to spend about six months trying to get to Rome because you're going to get in a shipwreck. And be shipwrecked on an island. And be bitten by a a viper. 
He doesn't tell him all of this stuff. He just says, you've solemnly witnessed my cause in Jerusalem. You're going to witness now in Rome also. doesn't fill in any of the details. But the Lord is very pleased with Paul. Very pleased. The Lord himself came as an encouragement to Paul and says, you're doing great. Paul's like, me? What did I do? I did great with the Gentiles when I was out there. I'm having a terrible time here with the people here in Jerusalem. You know, these, these are your chosen people. But the Lord is just encouraging because the Lord sees from a totally different perspective. If we look at this from success and missions, if we look at this from, from the perspective of being able to write things in the newsletter, it was, it was a terrible event. But God sees it very differently and says, take courage. You're doing a good job. You know, he's just really happy with this guy. Look at uh, um, look in Jeremiah chapter chapter one. Jeremiah chapter one. So after Psalms and Proverbs, you've got the big book there, Isaiah, and right after Isaiah, you've got Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was this young guy being called of the Lord as a prophet. He was being called of the Lord, and I have taken this portion, and what I'm sharing with you is a portion that I have used to encourage me. Now. People sometimes think that it's very easy for me to get up and speak. Well, it's less hard than it used to be. But I wouldn't say that it's ever easy. It's less hard than it used to be. But there are situations that have been particularly difficult. And there have been crowds of people that I have shared with that have been particularly rough. And what I do is, when I start feeling nervous about it, even just... Minutes before going up, I will open up to this portion in Jeremiah. And it reminds me of what God spoke to Jeremiah. And I take this verse, this verse in Jeremiah, that was written 650 years before the birth of Jesus, to a man named Jeremiah. And I take this, and I make it, poof, part of my own life. And then I feel as if God is speaking this to me as I meditate on this. So if you look at at Jeremiah chapter 1, and we'll start reading from verse 17. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city, as a pillar of iron, and as a wall of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. I mean, this is beautiful. Here he's calling this young guy, and he's saying, I'm going to make you a prophet. He's like, oh, good, I'll be a prophet. Now everybody will listen to me. No. On the contrary, they're not. He says, he says, uh, you gird up your loins. That means pull up your pants. I mean, you got, you got, I got work for you to do. Arise and speak to them all which I command you. This is in verse 17. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. What kind of word is this? He says, unless you appropriate what I am about to give you, if you look at yourself as defeated in their eyes, you will be defeated. The children of Israel, when they went into the promised land, the men from each tribe were chosen. 
And these men went in from the 12 different tribes. They went in. When they came back, they reported this. Ten of them reported this. Two of them said, no, we can take that land. But ten of them said, we saw giants in the land and we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and so we became in their eyes. Isn't that interesting? I viewed myself as a grasshopper and so that is how they viewed me. That's what it's saying. If we view ourselves as defeated, we will be viewed as defeated. If I view myself as a grasshopper and unable to do what the Lord has asked me to do, that's how I will be viewed. I have taken this same portion for my professional life. You know, what happens is you go through graduate school and you do research and you learn how to do research and all of these things and you learn how to write and then you go and you do a postdoc and you do this and then you get a job. Get a job as a professor and what they do is they take you and they drop you in front of a lecture hall with 300 students and they say, teach. It's like, I've never been taught how to teach before. Yeah, I taught a lab, you know, where I, saw, I taught people how to set up a little distillation apparatus, but I've never lectured before 300 people. And so most faculty members have never been taught how to teach. And it shows, doesn't it? Really, they demonstrate this all the time. They've never had any formal training in this. And so I'm the same way. So they drop you in front of this classroom thinking, how am I going to do this? You know, you, I've, I've been taught everything in my, in, in my training except how to teach. And now I'm all of a sudden being asked to teach. And so I will take this same portion and just draw it upon myself. If I am dismayed, no, I know this stuff. Go in and teach it. And the Lord says, rise up, gird up your loins, pull up your pants and do it. You see what I mean? You take this word and you make it a part of your life and then you can do it. How am I going to share with this person? How am I going to do this? How can I do this? When I did prison ministry all those years, I would just take this portion all the time. I'd see these crowds of men coming in. And, and you know, I'd be shaking their hands when they'd be coming in. One man would look at me, he says, I worship Satan. <laughs> this is what he'd tell me as he's shaking my hand, you know, coming to this meeting where I'm going to be sharing. And they say to him, why do you want to worship Satan? He's not very nice. You know, you can worship a chair or a rock, but don't worship Satan. He's really not very nice. You know, and so these are the guys that I've got to share with. So this is a maximum security prison. These guys are in prison not for skipping Sunday school. They're in prison in this prison for a reason. And, and uh, uh, you know, these are very big, large, mean men. I'm just a little guy. You know? And, and, and I've got to stand up and start sharing with them. And I'll take this verse and I'll start sitting there. And as they're... Getting things settled, I'm reading, now gird up your loins, arise and speak to them, all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay, them bef- or will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today. So it doesn't say, someday you will be. I have made you today a fortified city, a pillar of iron and a wall of bronze against the whole land, to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. 
They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. I mean, I just read this. Yes, I can do this. And I just go up. This is the way the Lord encourages. You can do this. You can do this. The thing about it is, so few Christians who will take this word and say, yes, this is God's word, have ever learned this secret of taking the word of God and just drawing it in and using it and applying it to their own lives. They will accept salvation. They will accept that they're going to heaven. But to take this verse and apply it to where they are, apply it to their professional lives. I've taken this, it says, uh, to the kings of Judah. So here's this guy, Jeremiah. He's got to go and present this to the kings of Judah, to its princes. You know what? What about princes? Princes are really cocky because their father is the king. And they have all this money and they don't have to listen. He says, you're going to take it to them. I've done this in my own professional life. You know, as I was coming up to it as an assistant professor, I think, I have to present to these established people who, you know, run the field of chemistry, I have to do this? And God says, yes. You are going to present to the kings of Judah, to the princes, to the priests. Here is this guy. Jeremiah has to go and present God's word to the priests. You know, the priests are the ones who kind of know this stuff. They're the ones who are really cocky. Like, who is this guy who is not a priest to tell us? But this is what he says to do. And I'm telling you, I have done this so many times. I've, I've presented before priests, before Catholic priests. You know, I've had to go and speak. And I think, you know, they have all this training. But God reassures me that what I have, what he has given me, is sufficient. Is sufficient. And you know what happens? It is amazing. I start to speak and I see it. It's like they're just feeding on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and descends on that place. I do this in technical settings that have nothing to do with Bible stuff. I will go into technical settings and speak and present work to experts in the field. And I grab them. I remember once I was an assistant professor and the most highly cited chemist in the world is an older gentleman from Harvard spoke before me. And then after he spoke, he was in the back just talking. Big, big lecture hall. And uh, uh, this was at a hotel at a National American Chemical Society meeting in Boston. And he was at the back talking to people because lots of people crowded around him. And here I was, this assistant professor speaking. But I had prayed because I looked on the schedule that he was speaking right before me. And I prayed, Lord, I pray that when I'm speaking, it will really grab him. And the Holy Spirit would do a work in his heart. And so here I was speaking and presenting, going through, and, just, and I watched him in the back. He stopped talking and he walked all the way up and he sat right in the front row. Right in the front row. And he listened to the rest of my seminar. You know, God does this. Who can do this but God? This is the enjoyment of taking the things that you know about Jesus Christ and drawing him into place in your career. Drawing him to have an effect in your career, in your life, where God does that. He does something through that. There are other times when I've been just totally beside myself. I don't know what to do or anything. And you know what I do? I turn over to this portion. Turn to Psalm 23. The classic psalm that everybody knows, 
but nobody really, know, but few really know it. Everybody knows it, but few really know it. Psalm 23. I am desperate. I don't feel like I can do anything. And I just need the Lord to pick me up and lift me up. And I will go through Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And I say, Lord, you are my shepherd. That means you provide for me. You find for me grass to eat. You find for me water to drink. You are my shepherd. And you know what happens as I start proclaiming this? I start feeling a lot more at peace. That God is going to provide for me. I shall not want, it says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There have been times I've been so stirred up. Just so much coming at me in life. All of us have been there. Have you ever had just like a whole bunch of exams where professors get together and they plan to have all their exams together on the same three days? You know, we, we do this. We plan together to do this. It's calculated this way. And, and you're so much, and you're like, how could this ever happen? How can I ever get through this? How could I ever survive? I have more work than anyone has ever had. Have you ever felt that way? You know, and I say, and he makes me lie down in green pastures. I said, Lord, give me rest. In the midst of this, give me rest. He leads me beside quiet waters. Think of this picture of just quietness. Him leading us in quietness. What a picture. And I take this and I start thinking about this in my own mind, this quietness. He guides me. He restores my soul. I said, Lord, my, my soul is so stirred up. Restore my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Father, You're going to guide me through this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. And I take this Word of God. This is what David did. He encouraged himself in God. He encouraged himself. You can do this. You can do this. You can encourage yourself in God. You take this word, these scriptures, and you start drawing them into your life. There's a portion in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. So if you go back to Samuel, after Samuel, you've got, you've got uh, uh, a little bit after Samuel, you've got 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 11. 2 Chronicles chapter 11. I had this verse on my wall, my first year of graduate school. And First uh, uh, Chronicles chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 14. First Chronicles, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 14. I've really confused everybody, including myself. Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse 11. Second Chronicles 14, 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. Very simple passage. I had had this verse I had been memorizing and, and I took this verse and memorized it and I wrote it out and I put it on my, the inside of my door. I lived in a graduate dorm. It was my first year of graduate school. And I used to get on my knees and pray this prayer before I would leave my room in the morning. And I would say, I would say, Lord, there's no one 
beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help me, O Lord, my God, for I trust in you. You see, I would just bring it into my own life. And I would go storming out of that room. You know, I would feel so inadequate for all that I had to do. And I would just go storming out of that room, just ready to, you know, if anybody had been standing in my way, they would have been knocked over. I was intense and ready to go. I had a purpose. I was a man on a mission. After taking that verse on my life, that whole year, day after day, that whole year, I would do that. I said, there's no one to help in this battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help me, O Lord, my God, for I trust in you and in your name I have come against this multitude. Lord, because of you I am here. Lord, do this in my life. This is the treasure. What, what uh, Jonathan spoke to David was just encouragement in the Lord. He said, David, my father's never going to find you. You're going to be king and I'm going to be right at your side. Now, that wasn't all of the Lord. That was just encouragement because it turned out that Jonathan died before David was ever made an anointed king and actually elevated to be an actual king there. He'd been anointed king. But the other part of it was true. Saul never found him. The other part of it was true, that he became king. So to encourage a person in God doesn't mean that you're speaking every word that you say is prophecy. It's just an encouragement. Taking God's word and sharing it into their lives. But the other side of it is learning to take the word of God yourself and draw it in. It gives you tremendous strength for the things that face your way. And for, for you know, just whatever it is. Whether it's raising children, you come before God. God, I can't do this. I don't know what's going on. Father, help me. Whatever is before you, you take it up and you walk in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would take these young people and teach them to pick up the word of God and draw it right into their own lives. Father, that they would take simple passages of scriptures and apply it to their own lives. I thank you, Father, that you look upon them with great favor. And Father, I pray that you would encourage them and lead them through this day. Teach them to pick up the Word of God and walk with it. Father, make this message real in their lives, I pray. Unless you confirm it, unless you do it in their hearts, this will be like all other messages which come and go. Father, teach them to pick up the Word of God and apply it in their lives. Because then I know, O Lord, they will do well in life. I commit them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.